0: chapter 21 of moral tales this librevox recording is in the public domain moral tales by elisabeth charlotte Pauline guizot chapter 21 armand or the independent little boy m. de saint-marcin on entering one day into the apartment of his son armand found him in a violent passion and heard him say to his tutor the abbé durand very well of course i shall obey you I must do so because you are the strongest but i can tell you that i do not recognize your right to compel me and i shall hate you as unjust and a tyrant after this speech on turning round with a movement of irritability he perceived his father standing at the door which he had found open and looking at him with a calm and attentive countenance armand turned pale then blushed he feared and respected his father who though exceedingly kind something very imposing both in countenance and manner, so that he had never dared to resist him directly, or put himself in a passion in his presence. Dismayed, and with downcast eyes, he awaited what M. de Saint-Marsin was going to say, when the latter, having entered, sat down near the table, upon which Armand had been writing, and which formed the subject of his quarrel, for the Abbé Durand had insisted on his removing from the window, as it diverted his attention from his work. Armand? "'said M. de saint Marcin, in a serious but calm tone. "'You think, then, that no one has a right to force you to obey?' "'Papa,' said Armand, confused, "'I did not say that to you.' "'But you did say it to me, for the power which M. l'abbé possesses he holds directly from me. "'His rights are founded upon mine, and these I have transmitted to him. "'Are you not aware of this?' Armand was well aware of it, but he could not make up his mind to obey the Abbe Durand, as he did his father. Or rather, obedience was in all cases extremely disagreeable to him, and fear alone prevented him from manifesting his sentiments before M. de Saint-Marsin. For Armand, because he was thirteen years of age, and possessed of some intelligence, considered himself a very important personage, and his pride was habitually wounded because he was not allowed to follow his own inclinations. He therefore rebelled against what he was commanded to do, not because he considered it unreasonable, but simply because it was commanded, and he several times hinted to the Abbe Durand that if parents ruled their children, it was simply because they were the strongest, and not because they had any legitimate right to do so. M. de Saint-Marsin, who was aware of all this, was very glad to have an opportunity of coming to an understanding with him on the subject. "'Tell me,' he continued, "'In what respect I commit an injustice in obliging you to obey me, and I am ready to repair it?' Armand was confused, but his father, having encouraged him to reply, he said, "'I do not say, papa, that you commit an act of injustice towards me. Only I do not exactly see how it can be just for parents to compel their children to follow their wishes, for children have wills as well as parents, and they have as much right to follow them as their parents have to follow theirs.' I suppose it is because children, not being reasonable, it is necessary that their parents should be reasonable for them, and compel them to be so, too. But, said Armand hesitatingly, if they do not wish to be reasonable, it seems to me that that is their affair, and I cannot understand how any one can have the right of compelling them to be so. You therefore consider, Armand, that if a child of two years of age took a fancy to put his hand into the fire or to climb up to a window at the risk of falling out of it that no one would have a right to prevent him from doing so oh papa what a difference i see none the rights of a child of two years of age appear to me quite as sacred as those of a child of thirteen or if you admit that age makes any difference then you must allow that a child of thirteen ought to have less than a man of twenty armand shook his head and remained unconvinced his father having encouraged him to state his opinion I have no doubt, he replied, that there are some good reasons to oppose to this, although I cannot discover them. But even allowing that it may be to the advantage of children to be forced to obey, still I do not see how any one can have a right to benefit another against his will. Well then, Armand, you do not wish me to force you to be reasonable by obeying me. Oh, papa, I did not say that, but... But I understand it very well, and as I do not wish that you should be able to consider me unjust... I promise you that I will not again compel you to obey me until you tell me you wish me to do so. <laughs> until I wish you to force me to obey you, papa, said Armand, half laughing and half pouting, as if he imagined that his father was ridiculing him. You know it is impossible that I should ever wish that. That remains to be proved, my son. I wish to have the pleasure of seeing it, and from this moment I resign my authority until you request me to resume it. "'You must make up your mind to do the same, my dear Abbe,' said M. de Saint-Marsin, addressing the Abbe Durand. "'Your rights cease at the same time as mine.' The Abbe, who understood the intentions of M. de Saint-Marsin, smiled, and promised to conform to them. As for M. de Saint-Marsin, he still retained his grave expression, and Armand looked from one to the other with an air of uncertainty, as if to ascertain whether they were in earnest or not. "'I do not know,' continued his father, what was the act of obedience so exceedingly displeasing to armand but after these new arrangements he ought to be exempted from it that is a matter of course replied the Abbe. come my boy said m de saint-marsin use your liberty without restraint and do not think of renouncing it until you are quite sure that you no longer wish to retain it for i warn you that then in my turn i shall exercise my authority without scruple armand saw him depart with a stupefied look and could not bring himself to believe what he had heard. As the first essay of his liberty, he replaced by the side of the window the table which he had begun to remove from it, and the Abbe Durand, who took up a book, allowed him to do so without appearing to notice him. He merely observed, when Armand sat down to continue his exercise, I do not know why you take so much trouble to settle yourself so comfortably, for I suppose that now you are master of your own actions, we shall have but few lessons." i do not know sir replied armand on what grounds you imagine that i should think i am not so much of a baby as to require to be put into leading-strings and you may rest assured i shall require no force to induce me to do what i know to be reasonable very well said the abbe and continued his reading while armand in order to prove his assertion never once looked towards the window but did his exercise twice as rapidly and twice as well as usual the Abbe complimented him upon it, and added, "'I hope your liberty will always answer as well as it has done on this occasion.' Armand was enchanted, but his pleasure was somewhat diminished in the evening when, on asking his tutor whether they should go out for a walk, the Abbe replied, "'Certainly not, for if you took it into your head to walk faster than me, or run about, or go through a different street to that which I wish to take, I should have no power to prevent you, and I am too old and too stout to run after you.' I cannot undertake to conduct through the streets a giddy fellow, over whom I possess no authority. Armand became angry, and contended that the Abbe was unreasonable. At last he said, "'Very well, I promise not to walk faster than you do, and to go just where you please.' "'That is all very well,' replied the Abbe. "'But you might take some fancy into your head, which I ought to oppose, and as I have no power to restrain you, you might bring me into trouble.' "'I am willing to promise obedience during our walk,' said Armand. "'Very well. I will go and inform M. de Saint-Marsin that you renounce the treaty, and wish to replace yourself under authority again.' "'No, no, it is only for the period of our walk.' "'So,' replied the Abbe, "'you not only wish to follow your own will, but you want to make me do the same. You wish me to resume my authority when it suits you, and to relinquish it when you no longer desire it.' i must say in my turn no 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 if i consent to resume my authority it will be to continue it therefore my dear armand you must make up your mind either to renounce the treaty or to give up your walk for the future but papa wishes me to walk replied armand dryly yes but he does not require me to walk with you when i can be of no use to you he has no right over my actions except in so far as he gives me a right over yours when he entrusted to me a part of his authority it was quite natural that he should prescribe the manner in which he wished me to exercise it now that he entrusts nothing to me of what have i to render him an account as to that said armand i do not know what should prevent my going out by myself no one in the world will hinder you you are as free as the air the proof that i am not so replied armand carelessly "'The proof that this is all a fairy-tale "'is that I am still with you, monsieur l'abbé.' "'Not at all,' said the abbé calmly. "'It is your father's wish that I should give you lessons, "'as long as you are disposed to take them. "'But this does not bind you to anything. "'It is also his wish that as long as I remain with him "'I should share the apartment which he gives you. "'He has a right to do what he pleases with it, "'and I have a right to comply with his wishes "'if I choose to do so. "'As to the rest, you can do in it whatever you think best.' provided you do not annoy me, for in that case I shall exercise the right of the strongest and endeavour to prevent you. With this exception, you may go out or you may remain, just as you please. It is all the same to me. I shall see you do the things which I have heretofore forbidden without troubling myself in the slightest degree. And if you wish that we should not speak to each other, or even look at each other, I do not ask for anything better. That will be exceedingly convenient to me." "'Why, Monsieur l'abbé, you are carrying things to extremes! "'Not in the least. Everything is quite natural. "'What interest would you have me take in your conduct "'when I am not responsible for it?' "'I thought you had more friendship for me. "'I have as much as I can have. "'Are you of any use to me? "'Can I talk to you as to a friend of the books which I read "'and which you would not understand? "'Can I speak to you of the ideas which interest me, "'you whom a serious book sends to sleep?' and who feel no interest in history except for its battles. Can you render me any service? Can I rely on you in any case in which I may stand in need of good advice or useful aid? So I perceive that people are loved only when they can be useful. This truly is admirable morality and friendship. I beg your pardon. We also love people because we can be useful to them. We become attached to them because they have need of us. And it is on this account that we are fond of children. We are interested in what they do, from the hope we entertain of teaching them to do well. We love them, notwithstanding their faults, because we believe that we possess the power of correcting those faults. But the moment you deprive me of all influence over your conduct, the moment I become useless to you, what interest can I have in troubling myself about you? But we have passed many years together. You have seen me every day." If we are to become attached to a child, merely from seeing him every day, why am I not equally attached to Henri, the porter's son, who waits upon us? I have seen him for as long a time. He has never refused to do anything I asked him. He has given me no annoyance. I always find him in good humour. He renders me a thousand services, and is far more useful to me than you can be. Nevertheless, it would be rather strange if you liked Henri better than me.' If up to the present time I have liked you better than him, it is because, as you were confided to my care, the submission you were obliged to render me gave you the desire of pleasing me, and this made you deserve my friendship. And because also, as your interests were confided to me, I acted for you as I would have acted for myself, and even with more zeal than I could have felt in my own case. But now that you have undertaken to think for yourself, I have nothing more to do but to think for myself.' armand had nothing to reply he thought to himself that the way to force those on whom he was dependent to have as much affection for him as when he was under their authority was to conduct himself as well as if he were still obliged to obey them and he determined to adopt this method but armand did not yet possess either sufficient sense or sufficient firmness of character to adhere to such resolutions and it was precisely this which rendered it necessary for him to be guided and controlled by the will of others left to himself he was not yet as capable of meriting their affection many children will doubtless be astonished that armand did not profit by his liberty to throw aside his studies run about alone and do a thousand absurdities but armand had been well brought up and his disposition was good notwithstanding the caprices which occasionally passed through his brain and at thirteen years of age though children have not always sufficient strength to do what is right they begin at least to know what is right and to desire to be regarded as rational beings and besides notwithstanding all his fine arguments he had acquired the habit of obedience and would have found it very difficult to oppose directly any command of his father or tutor in such a way that it might come to their knowledge however the following morning he thought his liberty might surely extend so far as to send and buy a rasher of ham for his breakfast a thing of which he was very fond but which he was very rarely allowed to have he wanted to send henri for it but henri who at that moment had something else to do said that he could not go he was usually rather insolent to armand who on his part often became excessively angry with him because he did not obey him as readily as m de saint-marsin or the abb on the present occasion, elated by the new importance which he thought he had acquired, he assumed a more imperious tone, and expressed his anger more loudly than usual, but this only increased Henri's ridicule. He even affected to lecture Armand, saying that M. de Saint-Marsin did not allow him to send out of the house for anything, and reminded him that he had been already scolded for that very thing. "'What does that matter to you?' said Armand, still more angrily. "'Have I not a right to send you where I please?' No, my son, replied M. de Saint-Marsin, who happened to be passing at the moment. Henri is not under your orders, but under mine. But papa, do you not wish him to wait upon me? Undoubtedly, my son, he has my commands to that effect, and I trust he will not neglect them. But he will wait upon you according to the orders I give him, and not according to those you give him. Nevertheless, papa, it is necessary that I should ask him for what I want.' You need only let me know what you want, and what I tell him to do for you, he will do. But I think, papa, you have often allowed me to give him my commands myself. That was at a time when there were things which I could allow you to do, because there were others which I could forbid. I could then without danger allow you to have some authority in my house, because as you could only do what I pleased, your authority was subordinate to mine.' I did not fear that you would give my servants any orders at variance with my wishes, since I had the right to forbid your doing anything which displeased me. But now that you are at liberty to do whatever suits you, if I gave you the right of commanding my servants it might suit you to send them to all the four corners of Paris at the very moment that I required their services here, and I should have no means of preventing you. You might tell them to go to the right, while I told them to go to the left." there would be two masters in the house, and that would never answer. Impress this fact upon your mind, my son, that you can have no authority over anyone unless I give it to you, and that I cannot give it to you unless I have the power of compelling you to make a reasonable use of it. Then turning to the boy, who, while pretending to be busily occupied in cleaning Armand's shoes, was in reality amusing himself all the while with what was passing. Listen, Henri, you will do with great care for armand's service everything which i order you but you will do nothing whatever that he orders it is well worth while to be free said armand discontentedly my child said m de Saint i do not interfere with you in any respect not even with your giving orders to henri if that affords you any pleasure but then you must in turn allow me to have the privilege of forbidding him to execute them saying this he went away and when he got to some distance henri began laughing and said it is a fine thing to order one's servants when one has got any to order armand was enraged and attempted to give him a kick but henri avoided it saying i have had no orders to allow myself to be beaten therefore mind what you are at and he took up a boot with which he was preparing to defend himself armand would not compromise his dignity by contending with him and therefore left him saying that he was an insolent fellow and that he would pay him off some day yes yes and i will pay you when you pay me for the ham which i have bought for you this morning this recollection redoubled armand's ill-humour he felt inclined to go and get it himself but in addition to his being unaccustomed to go out alone he was proud, and could not make up his mind to stop at the shop of the pork-butcher, especially as the man knew him, from having seen him frequently pass by with the Abbé Durand, and it would have been very annoying to him to explain to such a person the reason of his coming himself, and of his being alone. To have profited by his liberty, Armand ought to have been better able to manage for himself, and to overcome his repugnance to a thousand things which he could not bring himself to do he began to discover that he was made to pay dearly for a freedom from which he hardly knew how to extract any advantage nevertheless he had nothing to complain of no one controlled his actions and he could not help acknowledging that the abbe durand had a right to refuse to take him out and his father a right to forbid his servants to execute his orders he felt that the kindness which these servants had hitherto manifested towards him could result only from their submission to the authority of his father and his preceptor. Still he persuaded himself that the latter, by acting as they did, took an unfair advantage of the need he had of their protection. He did not remember that when we cannot do without people, we must make up our minds to be dependent on them. Being out of temper this day, he learned his lessons badly, then interrupted them and did not finish them the manner in which he had gone through his morning's tasks left him in no humour for the evening studies he therefore passed the afternoon in playing at battledore and shuttlecock in the yard with henri with whom he was very glad to be on better terms again but when he saw his father return he hid himself the remainder of the day he was afraid to meet him for fear of being asked whether he had been at work at night he returned to his room much embarrassed and scarcely daring to look at the abbe who however said nothing but treated him as usual it was of no avail for armand to say to himself that no one had a right to scold him and that he was free to do as he pleased he was nevertheless ashamed of wishing for and doing what was unreasonable for the man who is most completely master of his actions is no more at liberty to neglect his duties than a child whom we compel to fulfil them the sole difference is that the man possesses reason and strength to do what is right and that it is because the child does not yet possess these qualities that he stands in need of being sustained by the necessity of obedience nothing would be more unhappy than a child left entirely to himself half the time he would not know what he wanted he would commence a hundred things and never finish one of them and would pass his life without knowing how even he who considers himself reasonable and who on this account thinks that there is no necessity for his being commanded, does not perceive that all his reasonableness springs from his doing what is commanded without repugnance and without ill-temper, and that if he had no one to guide him, he would be quite incapable of guiding himself. Armand had some notion of all this, but it was a confused one. He did not reflect much upon the matter, and merely thought that, after all, there was no such great pleasure in being free. The next day, which was Sunday, two of his companions, the sons of an old friend of M. de Saint-Marsin, came to see him. They were about fifteen or sixteen years of age, frank and thoughtless, and often amused Armand by relating anecdotes of their college and of the tricks of the boys, but they sometimes shocked him also by their coarse and disagreeable manners. They, on their side, often ridiculed him for being too orderly, too neat, and too elegant as their father was not rich he had only placed them at college as day-scholars and as they always went there alone they laughed at armand who could not move a step without his tutor he was therefore delighted to be able to tell them that he was free to do whatever he pleased that's good said they we shall have fine fun we will go to the place where we went last sunday one can play at ball there with all the people of the neighbourhood who are dressed in their sunday clothes they swear they fight it's capital sport. Jules was near at getting a thrashing from one of the players, because he laughed at him for never sending back the ball. And Hippolyte, said the other, had his nose and lips swelled for three days from having been hit by the ball in the face, and then they drink beer. Though we were sent to stay here the whole morning, we were determined to go there. Will you come with us? Certainly not, replied Armand, to whom this sport offered few attractions. He had no ambition to contend with a porter, nor be struck by a ball, nor to drink beer at a tavern. "'You must come,' continued his companions. "'Oh, we'll polish you up. We'll show you how to amuse yourself.' "'I wish to amuse myself in my own way,' said Armand, who endeavoured, but in vain, to extricate himself from his friends, who had each taken one of his arms in order to drag him against his will out of the yard where they were. Armand cried out and struggled, and seeing his father at the window papa said he don't let them drag me away by force i my son replied m de saint marsin why do you ask me to prevent these young gentlemen from doing anything you know very well that every one is free here my friends amuse yourselves according to your own fancy armand do just what you please i have no wish to restrain you in any respect and he withdrew from the window the two lads laughed outrageously repeating as they held armand tightly by the arm armand do just what you please and seeing that m de saint marsin left them a clear stage they forced armand to run along the streets in spite of his cries and struggles. as they passed along people exclaimed look at those young rascals fighting and indeed armand did not make a very respectable appearance he was without cravat or hat he had on a soiled overcoat and his stockings were tied in a slovenly manner. It was this which delighted his mischievous companions, for they knew he had a great objection to be seen in public unless when well dressed, and they had sometimes fancied when walking with him that he had manifested some degree of pride in consequence of being better dressed than they were. The remarks which were made on them increased his annoyance and anger. "'Let me go!' he exclaimed. "'You have no right to hold me against my will.' "'Hinder us, then,' said his tormentors. But Armand was strong in arguments only, so that in order to avoid being dragged along by force, he was obliged to promise that he would go with them voluntarily. But he was indignant at the treatment he had received, and might perhaps, notwithstanding his promise, have been tempted to make his escape, had not his two tormentors kept constant guard over him. "'Don't be a baby,' they said. "'You don't know how much you'll be amused.' They soon reached a kind of tavern-garden, where several men were playing at ball. Jules's first joke was to push Armand in amongst them. A ball struck him on the left ear, and the man whose throw he had interfered with gave him a blow with his fist on the right shoulder in order to push him out of the way. This threw him on the feet of another man, who sent him off with a second blow, at the same time swearing at him and telling him to mind what he was about, he had not time to reply to this one, before the ball came bounding close to him, and one of the men who ran after it, for the purpose of sending it back again, threw him on the ground with an oath, at the same time falling with him. Every one laughed, and especially Jules and Hippolyte. Armand had never in his life felt so enraged. But seeing that his anger was impotent, his heart was ready to burst, and had not his pride restrained him, he would have cried with vexation, However, he restrained himself, and withdrawing from the players, he seized the moment when Jules and Hippolyte, who had probably had sufficient of this kind of sport, were no longer watching him, and leaving the garden, he hastened home as fast as he could, trembling lest he should see them coming after him. His heart swelled with anger and a sense of degradation, to find that he was unable either to defend himself or to punish those who had so unworthily used their strength against him. He reached home at last his father was coming out as he entered and asked him somewhat ironically whether he enjoyed his walk armand could no longer contain himself he said it was a shame to have encouraged jules and hippolyte to drag him away by force as they had done if it was to punish me he continued for the agreement you pretended to make with me i ought to have been told of it i did not ask you to make such an agreement my child said m de saint-marsin i have no wish to punish you i have nothing to punish you for i have no right to punish you on the other hand what right had i to prevent your companions from doing what they pleased with you when you were dependent upon me i could say i do not wish him to do such and such things consequently i will not allow any one to force him to do them i could exercise my authority and even my strength if necessary to protect you from those who might desire to interfere with you i could not permit any one to infringe my rights by compelling you to obey them but now you depend upon yourself only it is your business to defend yourself to say i will not and to discover what your will is worth so long as you are unwilling to be dependent upon any one no one is obliged to assist you i see then said armand in a tone of irritation that because i am not dependent upon you if you saw any one going to kill me you would say that you had no right to defend me oh no said m de saint-marsin smiling I do not think my forbearance would extend quite so far as that. However, I will think about it. I have not yet examined the case. I do not very well see what are the duties of a father towards a child who does not consider himself bound to obey his father. And remember that this is not my fault, for I never before met with a child who entertained these ideas. With these words he went away. Armand, who clearly perceived that they were making game of him, began to weary of these pleasantries, but at the same time he was becoming confirmed in the idea of following his own will. Near the place where he had seen the ball playing, he had noticed another spot where they were firing at a target, and the idea of this had recurred to him since his return. His father, when in the country, had begun to teach him the use of firearms, and had even occasionally allowed him to accompany him on a shooting excursion, an amusement which greatly delighted Armand but m de st marsin would not permit him to use firearms in paris notwithstanding his earnest assurances that he would employ them with the greatest prudence this prohibition was very grievous to armand who in his wisdom was quite satisfied that he would be able to amuse himself in this way without any danger as he had no fancy for practising with such people as he had just escaped from it occurred to him that he might at least have a target in his father's garden or shoot at the sparrows he went to fetch from his father's study, where they were always kept, his gun and some pistols which had been given him by one of his uncles. It was a mere chance that he got at them, for since he had been entrusted with his liberty, M. de Saint-Marsin, fearing he might make a dangerous use of them, had always been careful to keep them locked up. But his valet de chambre having to get something from the place where they were kept, had, notwithstanding the strict injunctions given to him, forgotten to relock the place and take away the key armand therefore found the gun the pistols and some ammunition on descending to the garden he observed a cat running along the cornice of a neighboring house he took aim missed and walked on he entered the garden and there shot away right and left and kept up a firing sufficient to alarm the whole neighborhood after exhausting his ammunition he was returning across the yard loaded with his artillery when a man who was talking very vehemently with the porter "'Rushed towards him, saying, "'Oh, that's him, that's him. "'I knew very well it came from here. "'It is you, then, sir, who have been breaking my windows and my furniture, "'and were very near killing my son. "'Oh, you shall pay well for this. "'I will be paid. "'If not, I'll go and fetch the police and take you before a magistrate.' "'He was in such a rage that he poured forth a torrent of words "'without allowing himself time to take a breath, "'and all the while he shook Armand by the arm.' "'Yes, yes, I'll take him before a magistrate,' he said to the gossips of the neighborhood, who began to crowd round the gate. "'That's right,' said one. "'With his gun and pistol-shots, one would have supposed that the enemy was at hand.' "'The balls hit our walls,' said another, and I didn't know where to hide myself. "'Our poor Azor barked as if he was mad,' said a third. "'And I am still trembling all over.' "'They shall pay me,' continued the man.' armand confounded neither knew what had happened nor what they wanted at length he became aware that the shot which he had fired at the cat had struck a window above the ledge along which the animal was walking he had loaded his gun with ball thinking that small shot would not be sufficient to kill it and the ball had entered the window of one of the finest apartments in a furnished house and had broken a looking-glass worth two thousand francs shattered a pendule and knocked off the hat of the landlord's son, who happened to be standing near the chimney-piece. At every incident the man related, he shook the arm of Armand, who was making fruitless efforts to escape from him. "'You shall pay me,' he continued, "'as sure as my name is Bernard, and something more into the bargain, to teach you not to fire at other people's houses.' "'He would be rather puzzled to pay, I should think,' said one of the women. "'If he pays,' said another, "'it will not be out of his own purse.' "'It's all the same to me,' said Bernard. "'I must be paid. "'I don't care by whom. "'Where is M. de Saint-Marsin? "'I wish to speak with M. de Saint-Marsin.' "'Here I am,' said M. de Saint-Marsin, "'who entered at the moment. "'What do you want of me?' "'At the sight of his father, Armand turned pale. "'Yet his presence gave him confidence of protection. "'Whilst they were explaining the facts of the case, "'he timidly raised his eyes.' but immediately cast them down again like a criminal awaiting his sentence when m de saint marsin understood the cause of all this commotion he said m bernard i am very sorry for the misfortune that has happened to you but i can do nothing in the matter if it be really my son who has broken your looking-glass you must arrange with him it is not my business but it must of necessity be your business sir replied m bernard otherwise who is to pay me i know not sir "'But if my son has done it, it was during my absence, so that no one can suppose I have had anything to do with it. I do not answer for his actions.' Then, turning towards Armand, he said, "'You must see, Armand, that this is just, that I cannot be responsible for your actions when I have no means of making you obey my wishes.' Armand was unable to reply, and stood with his eyes cast down and his hands clasped, while large tears rolled down his cheeks. M. Bernard, in a terrible fury, insisted on taking M. de Saint-Marsin before the magistrate. "'It is not I who ought to go. It is my son,' said M. de Saint-Marsin. "'Oh, your son may be sent to prison.' "'I am very sorry, sir, but I can do nothing.' "'To the correctional police,' continued M. Bernard. "'I shall be exceedingly grieved, but I cannot prevent it.' Armand, at each word, sobbed violently, and raised his eyes and clasped hands towards his father. Some one whispered to M. Bernard, "'Here is the commissary of police passing by.' Armand heard him, and uttering a loud scream, he tore himself from the hands of M. Bernard, and ran to take refuge with his father, round whom he clung with all his strength, exclaiming, "'Oh, papa, do not let the commissary take me away. Have pity on me. Do not let me go to prison.' What right have I to prevent him, my son? Or in what respect is it my duty to do so? Have you not renounced my protection? Oh, restore it to me, restore it to me. I will obey you. I-, I will do everything you wish. Do you promise me this? Do you really desire that I should resume my authority? Oh, yes, yes. Punish me in any way you please, but do not let me go to prison. Follow me, said M. de Saint-Marsin, and turning to M. Bernard, he said, Monsieur Bernard, I trust this matter may be arranged without the intervention of the magistrate. Have the goodness to wait here for me a few minutes.' When he entered the house he said to Armand, "'My dear son, I do not wish to take advantage of a moment of trouble. Think well of what you are going to do. Have you made up your mind to obey me, and are you now convinced that I have a right to exact obedience? I will not conceal from you that if M. Bernard takes any proceedings, it will in all probability be against me.' and that after having compelled me to pay the damages, I shall be ordered to prevent you from committing similar acts for the future. Will you believe, then, that you are bound to submit to my authority, or will you wait for the magistrate to order you to do so? Oh, no, no, papa, said Armand, confused and kissing his father's hand, which he covered with tears. Forgive me, I entreat you. My dear child, said his father, I have nothing to forgive you, in granting you your liberty i knew very well that you would abuse it i knew that by allowing you to follow your own judgment i exposed you to the danger of committing many faults but it is for this reason that you ought to feel the necessity of sometimes submitting to my judgment armand was unable to express his gratitude for so much indulgence and kindness m de saint-marsin returned to m Bernard, and told him he would have an estimate made of the amount of damage done which fortunately was not so great as M. Bernard had at first represented. Nevertheless it was considerable, and Armand, who happened to be in his father's study on the day when they came to demand payment, did not dare to raise his eyes, so much was he ashamed of what he had done. You now understand, my son, said M. de Saint-Marsin, that parents have a right to prevent the follies of their children, since they have to pay for them but it is not only for such faults as they have to pay for that they are responsible, but for all the faults of their children when they have the power of preventing them. To whom are they responsible, papa? To God and to the world. To God, who requires that men should be good, reasonable, and as much as possible enlightened, but who does not require that children should become all this by their own unaided efforts. He has therefore entrusted their education and instruction to their parents, and for this purpose has given them the authority necessary for compelling them to receive instruction and to endeavour to become virtuous on the other hand as the world also demands that children should be so brought up as to become worthy members of society when they conduct themselves ill when they manifest vicious propensities it is the parents who are reproached they ought therefore to possess the means and authority of correcting and controlling their actions until they attain sufficient strength and reason to be rendered responsible for themselves armand felt the truth of these arguments he still occasionally found obedience troublesome but he no longer obstinately clung to his own ideas for he perceived that there are many things which cannot possibly be thoroughly understood by a boy of thirteen End of chapter twenty one